So are there any um, guys here who like curries? Guys. Well, there's a grow group for you. There's a grow group for you. Speak to John afterwards. Anyway, uh, a few years ago now, somebody called uh, Deborah Searle, probably haven't heard of Deborah, Deborah and her husband a few years ago set off on a transatlantic rowing race. I mean, this is incredible. Small kind of rowing boat, pairs of teams of two people would row from the British Isles to the Caribbean in this race. And Deborah and her husband took part in this. So we're just going to watch a, bit, a short clip in which we hear from Deborah. On the day of my departure, my twin sister Haley and her husband Lee gave me a, a tiny copy of the Bible. They said, um, every ship has a ship's Bible. That's how they sold it to me. And I, I had no faith at all and ordinarily probably wouldn't have wanted to take a Bible. And they'd written um, a really special message in the front. This little book has helped us a lot in the good times and the bad. God is a God of love, hope and peace. Above all, he's our loving father. Sorry, it always makes me cry. Unknown to Deborah and Andrew, bad times were just around the corner. When Andrew and I started out on this journey, we really believed we had the right combination of skills to win this race. But on the first night, it, it turned out that Andrew suffers from a, a really crippling phobia of open ocean. We got to the point where he was so ill that we had to call for the rescue yacht to come and collect him. With Andrew in full agreement, Deborah continued on her own, though she was disqualified from the race. Little did she know how much her life was to change. And little did she know what lay just ahead. One of the most disastrous days at sea was when I'd had some problems in the boat. So I had my head down and I just wasn't aware of what was going on around me. And when I next looked up, there was this enormous great big super tanker just bearing down on my position. And all I could see was this bow wave churning off the front of this ship and this massive metal hull behind coming straight for me. And I just sat on the edge of the boat and it was totally the wrong response. But all I could think was, that's it. I'm going to die. And then I noticed that it was at a slight angle to me and uh, it just passed me by. I, I, I was washed away by the, the bow wave. Already very low through the sheer isolation, her close encounter with death made matters worse and Deborah considered giving up. But encouragement came through modern technology and an ancient book. After a couple of months, I became so desperately lonely, so the team found out a way they could set up a link for people to send me text messages uh, to my satellite phone from any computer in the world. And I started to get thousands of text messages. But the ones that really struck me, actually, were the Bible verses that people had started to send me. Uh, in fact, some of them were, were so special, I transferred them to my, my iPhone. Um, mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these, from Psalm 93. I just, I love that idea that however crazy the conditions got that the boat was in, I had this God above who was mightier than all those things and would protect me. So that, that's an amazing story. And she, you know, she, she started looking at the Bible that her sister had smuggled into the boat, as well as receiving all those texts. And she, she completed the journey. It took her three months to row across the Atlantic, but she made it to the Caribbean. A huge distance covered, but in many ways, the distance that she, she covered in the end by starting with those few steps of faith, by reading the Bible and getting those texts, was a much, much bigger journey for her because it just completely, it completely transformed her life. And of course, many of us will know that you know, through the Bible, 
That's one of the ways that God has transformed our lives, although not necessarily in such a dramatic way. You don't have to do a rowing race across the Atlantic to, to read the Bible. You may not know that, but you don't. So we're coming back to a series today on hearing God, which we started a few weeks ago and we had a break. And today, specifically, as Matt was saying earlier on with the cracking the code thing, we are thinking about hearing God in the Bible. How does God speak to us through the Bible? I mean, we do call the Bible sometimes, don't we? We call it his word. And uh, we say that because we believe in a personal God who, who knows us and wants to know each of us better and better, wants us to respond to him, and, and he talks to us through his word, the Bible. But the thing is, how do you actually hear God for yourself? How do you hear and understand that word? Because it's not immediately obvious. To be honest, until I was about 30, I tended to think that the Bible was basically kind of an irrelevant collection of tall stories from centuries ago that were fairly meaningless to me, didn't have any proper relevance to my life. And I suppose if you'd push me, I would have conceded that, um, that there were some wise bits in it, like some of the things that Jesus said. But it would never have occurred to me, I mean, it would never seriously have occurred to me that the God who might be there, and I was dubious about whether there was a God there at all, that that God was actually wanting to say something to me through the Bible. The thing is, here I am standing up this morning, and I'm going to read to you from the Bible in a moment, and I'm going to talk about it. I mean, isn't that amazing? God must have such a sense of humor. Incredible. So we're going to hear um, a few verses now. From, and this is from Paul's second letter to Timothy, sometimes called To Timothy. Timothy was a young guy who was leading a young church, a new church, and he needed a bit of advice. Paul was a kind of mentor for him because Timothy was quite young, probably compared with a lot of people in this early church congregation. So this is what Paul says to Timothy. But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there are two parts to what we're going to um, look at this morning, two, two ways we're going to approach this. First is just going to quickly go through the verses, because there's not that many verses, but it's useful to just see what's going on in these verses. But then really importantly, in the second half, we're going to ask how to put this into practice, or what does it look like? What does it mean to me? How can I hear God through the Bible? And it's worth looking at the verses because it's short, as I say. So we'll go straight in with the first one. The first verse leads us in. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. He's saying, keep going in your faith, Timothy. You can trust what you've been taught because the people who've taught it to you over the years are themselves trustworthy. You know them. You know that they're reliable. You've known them all your life. And they're not kind of persuasive, charismatic people that you've maybe just met recently. Um, you know, we know what that's like, don't we? Maybe some of us here have experienced 
that, being kind of almost taken in by clever, eloquent people who are basically in it for themselves. There are loads of those people on social media, loads of them on the internet, loads of them in this world, people who might kind of sweep you off your feet. And when I look at some of the key people in my life who I've known for a number of years, they, they were rock solid and they were wise, but they tended to be slow to comment. They were good at listening. They weren't weak people and they were prepared to challenge me and I can still remember conversations I've had with some of these people over the years, sometimes going back decades. And Timothy has some people in his life who are like this. There's obviously Paul, who's writing to this now, but also people in his family. Even his grandmother, apparently, was somebody who he could trust. So the first lesson, really, from this is, if you don't have somebody, get somebody who can be a mentor for you. Find somebody who can sort of be in that position in your life. But then in the next verse, the scriptures, the Bible, are mentioned for the first time. Paul's reminding Timothy of how he's known these scriptures, as well as these people, he's known these scriptures all his life, and how from infancy, Paul says, you have known the holy scriptures. Timothy isn't being pressured to sign up for some kind of new trendy lifestyle where you have to pay an expensive subscription, say, this is something he's known about all his life. He's very privileged, of course, compared with some people. You know, there'll be some people here, I know. Um, and I'm in that category too, because I didn't come to understand the importance of the scriptures until I was about 30. Um, I didn't come across the Bible really seriously until I was that, at that age. And I'd never been taught from it before. And I didn't know the sort of people that Timothy had known all his life. And if that's you, just remember... Another truth is that God is gracious. God is gracious. Because God, he knows your situation and he knows your background. And he knows what you're having to deal with. And he can supply you and he will supply you with all that you need and all the people you need in terms of trustworthy mentors and teachers of the Bible. But staying in this verse here, what has this knowledge of the scriptures since infancy taught Timothy? Well, it's taught him wisdom, able to make you wise. These scriptures are able to make you wise. And what's the wisdom that we're looking at here? Is this a kind of wisdom that enables you to say cool things, to say really impressive things that people are going to be bowled away by, have a deeper insight into what's going on in the world, maybe to understand the financial crisis or something like that? Well, no, this is wisdom for salvation. Salvation. This is, this is what true wisdom is. Real wisdom. Probably the ultimate wisdom. Because it's focused on salvation. The scriptures are able to give us salvation wisdom. And they're, they're like a key that unlocks a door in some ways. Leading to a relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus is the salvation, but we have to take the key and we have to turn the lock. And then, of course, we have to walk through the door. So there's a part that we have to play as well as what he does. Salvation through the Holy Scriptures. Through these Holy Scriptures. Sorry, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But the Holy Scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is saying here that what Jesus says about himself, he's really referring to that. He's not doing any more than that. I am the way, Jesus says. Nobody can know the Father except through me, Jesus. And that's the outrageous kind of claim that Jesus makes about himself. We have to believe in him and his power and authority to save us. And if the scriptures are like a key to the door of salvation, Jesus maybe is like the door that we have to go through, that we have to walk through. In fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, gate or door, will be saved. Now the next verse, and this is a famous verse, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And at the time this was written, he was referring really to what we would call the Old Testament, the scriptures that the Jewish people had, because what we would call the New Testament was only just beginning to be formed. But now, of course, and there's a prophetic element to this, it was looking forward to what we would call the Old Testament, or all of the scriptures. And Paul saw the good news of the gospel and spoken by Jesus, he saw that as the fulfillment of God's message of grace. And he saw that as working together and fulfilling the Old Testament, coming together, and this was a total fulfillment. And this scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's divinely inspired. It has its source in God. It has God's, if you like, God's living breath in it. And it can bring life. Back in Genesis, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It's the unique written word of God, and it can't lie because it's truth. It's truth. It's kind of different to any other kind of writing or written down words that we might encounter. It's God-breathed, and it's also useful. It's useful in three areas that are listed here. It's useful for teaching us, for building us up in the Christian family. It's useful for rebuking and correcting us, because when we get things wrong and we go astray, it can help us. It can help us bring us back into line. And it's useful for training in righteousness. And that means, if you like, for help in helping us as disciples, apprentices, and helping us become more like Jesus. And we see him at work in the Bible. And then finally, all of this, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, so that we can begin to bear Christian fruit in our lives, spiritual fruit in our lives. When maybe before, before we believed, we had no idea that we were like trees that could bear any kind of fruit at all. So that's quickly going through those verses. But now, how to put this into practice? What does that look like? Now, what we're not going to do here is go into specific ways of using Scripture, like we did the other week, um, Lectio Divina, which Will was leading a way of listening to God's word. We're not going to do that, but what we're going to do is um, we're going to think about the place we all need to be in 
spiritually, before any of that can happen, the kind of place we need to get to, to hear God through the Bible. So this is for all of us. Because whatever way we find works for us to actually listen to God through the Bible, what we're looking at now is where we need to be for that to actually work at all. And it's bound up with listening and then comprehending what God is saying through the Bible to me. Because there's a difference, there's a massive difference, isn't there, between merely hearing words and actually listening and understanding those words. You have to listen to have a hope of understanding. You know, you can go to a university or a seminary or something and you can study Christian theology. We've got some people here doing that. Or you can go to a university department and do comparative religion. And maybe you'll study the Bible as part of that if Christianity comes into it. And you might even come away with a first-class degree, let's say. And you might go on to do some postgrad study as a result. And yet, at the end of it all, you might not actually have heard a single word that God was saying to you. You have to use your mind, obviously, but the thing is, you have to listen with your heart. And you have to want to do that. It's kind of intentional. Well, the risk is that we'll look at a passage only with our heads, and we might even agree theoretically that God speaks through the Bible. It's God's word, we might say. But that's not the same as me hearing God through and in the Bible. You can intellectually work out what you think the key point is, but that's not the same as listening, is it? So that you hear what God is saying. Actually listening to God... And that can mean listening in different ways, but of course today we're thinking about listening to God through the Bible. In this series we'll be thinking about how God speaks in other ways as well. But it's the Bible today. It entails an act of will, because we have to be prepared to listen and hear and put it into practice. So there's a need for obedience. There's a need for obedience in that as well, because we might not like what we hear. We might not want to do think we're being told to do in the Bible by God or what's being suggested. Another way of looking at this is that we also need to be humble when we approach the Bible because our humble allows God to speak to us. It's a prerequisite really, isn't it? Humility. You have to be able to admit that God knows more than you do. You have to be able to admit that. Can you admit that God knows more than you do, really, deep down, rather than just intellectual assent, that he can show you stuff in his word that you need to hear, things that you couldn't probably have worked out for yourself. And it might be a revelation about something wonderful that brings you joy. It might be. Or it may involve some correction and change in direction that eventually will bring you joy, but might be a bit of pain en route to that. Approaching the Bible in humility is like saying to God, I want to hear you, and I'm prepared to follow your agenda for my life, not my own agenda. It's the opposite of deciding in advance what you think you should be doing with your life, and then going to the Bible for God's approval for that. And thinking about this need for humility is to realize that 
as I read the Bible wanting to hear from God, my dependence has to be on God. And then I'll allow the Holy Spirit, because of that heart attitude, the Holy Spirit will be able to come alongside me and show me what God wants to say today. And, you know, we'll never hear God in his word without the Holy Spirit being there. Because he, the Spirit, he's always there wanting to show us God's truth in the Bible. But if, if our heart isn't in the right place, the words will just be like kind of spiritual water off a duck's back, if you see what I mean. It's really important when you read the Bible to admit that you need God's help in understanding it and inviting, kind of consciously inviting the Holy Spirit to help you illuminate, to illuminate it for you. And then you can be illuminated from within and you can be amazed. A couple of quick examples of things that were illuminated to me and you probably thought of these ages ago. They're probably so obvious to you, but in my slow way, I had to have God illuminate them. So John chapter 4, John chapter 6, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. It wasn't until I was taking Holy Communion at some point years ago and I had somebody put the bread in my hand, I suddenly realized, I suddenly realized that there was a connection between the bread in communion and Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Duh. I mean, isn't that obvious? But it suddenly, it suddenly made sense because my heart was in the right place for once. Psalm 34, verse 5, has become one of my favorite verses. Those who look to God are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. I thought, well, that's a lovely verse. That's just a lovely picture. You know, it's just a kind of nice thing. But then I suddenly thought, of course, when you look to God, you're radiant. Because if you look at God, you're bound to be radiant because God is the source of all light and radiance. Your face, is, your face will never be covered in shame. Well, of course, you can't look to God if your face is covered in shame. You have to be in a right place to be able to look to God at all. So there's a wonderful kind of circular thing, spiritual thing going on here. Because when you look at God, your face is going to be radiant and it can't be covered in shame either. Because if you're, if you're covered in shame over something, then you can't look to God and so on. Totally obvious to you, I know. You probably thought of this ages ago, but this was a revelation to me. Because for once my heart was in the right place. But you don't have to spend long, do you, looking in the Bible to realize that it isn't always easy to understand or follow. Um, we have to work hard at it. We have to dedicate ourselves to regular reading and study. And it's a kind of spiritual exercise in itself, reading the Bible and studying. If you don't do that, I mean, it's a bit like going to a spiritual gym. If you don't do that, the muscles of faith will become weak and even begin to waste away. And it's something that you can do on your own. It's important to do that on your own, but it's also important not to do it just on your own. Because there's a place for chewing the cud on your own, but there's also 
a really important, important place for getting alongside other Christians, including some more experienced ones, to do this study with them. And you know, as it happens, at Redland, we've got the perfect vehicle for you to do that. We've got these things called grow groups. So if you're not in a grow group already, this is another good reason to sign up for one of them because you can then complement your own private study of the Bible with getting together with some other people as well as other things you'll be doing in that grow group. This whole group of complementary things that will happen, including, including drawing near to God through the Bible and hearing what he's saying. So, coming to the end now. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that we, the servants of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if those verses have warmed your hearts this morning, and I really hope those verses have been warming your hearts, God is most likely speaking to you through them. Okay, so Matt and Katie are going to join me now as we just, we just kind of meditate on that for a few minutes. Should we stand? Let's just close our eyes and um, allow Jesus to speak to us now.